Yes, head up to the roof, shout it out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying today. Well, welcome to the club, Mina Bloom, and welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm your host, John Hansen. This episode, number 15, is entitled Putt-Putt, Pickles, and Pork. We'll get an update on the Wiener Circle, too, and we'll find out what Mina Bloom wants you to shout from the rooftops in just a little bit. But let's get started. We can do this together to create our community in a way that I think deep down inside, we know Chicago, all of Chicago can be transformed. That's Heyman Cross. He's a North Lawndale artist. He's part of Lawndale 18, a revitalized mini golf course that was created and designed primarily by teenagers in the neighborhood. Pascal Sabino wrote the story. Pascal, it's just, boy, it's another example of how relatively small changes can make a huge difference. Yeah, and this is something that these young people have worked on for uh, a few years. This isn't something that happened overnight. So even though it's something small, they put a lot of work into it. Let's just start back at the beginning. What, what was this before and why did it sit, you know, underutilized for so long? So this has always been a golf course, a mini golf course, but just for at least a decade, probably more, it hasn't really been usable. The turf grass was all peeled up and decayed and kind of moldy looking. A lot of the obstacles had fallen apart. It just wasn't something that people could use. And so even young folks who had spent their whole lives in North Lawndale, who knew that this used to be a golf course, most people had never actually played mini golf there. And this is on Park District property, right? This is Douglas Park. It is. This is um, just behind the Douglas Park Fieldhouse. It's on Park District property. And so some of the folks I talked to about this kind of said, hey, if this wasn't in North Lawndale, if this wasn't in a historically Black neighborhood that has been frankly neglected by various elements Uh, of the government for generations, maybe this golf course wouldn't look this way. Maybe it would have never fallen apart. Maybe it would have been restored years and years ago. And who really spearheaded this? Obviously, it's great that the teens worked on it. Obviously, some caring adults probably had to at least shepherd the start of this thing. This started off with an artist called Heyman Cross. The mini golf course was just an opportunity to do something with the community, with the youth of the neighborhood, to just expose them to what's possible. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunities in our in our community, and sometimes we don't always have vision. We can't always imagine what's possible. And so I looked at the golf course as like, hey, this is a way to show what's possible, what you can do right there in your community. It just hit all of the the, the kind of things that you look for. There was um, the significance of the park being like in a key location in North Lawndale. It's a neutral space where community members from all sides of the park come into it. There's a lot of history in the park. It was just like a perfect opportunity to to show what's possible. Douglas Park is like the crowning jewel of North Lawndale. And so Heyman Cross went for a walk through Douglas Park and was looking around and thinking of what, what space could we activate? Where could we build some additional community engagement and bring something really nice to the neighborhood using art as a medium? Cool, so 40 teens get involved in this project. And what do they like? Do they go go into groups and they each get a whole like how did it work in terms of coming up with this really cool design? So the teens worked on every element of this project. They worked on designing the course, designing the sculptures, the statues, the obstacles in the course. 
they're working on the business side of things. So marketing, social media, there's even going to be teenagers, young people who are going to be the people who are going to be actually operating the mini golf course. So managing, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, renting out the, what do you call it? The golfing? The clubs? Yeah, yeah sorry, I'll, I'll say that again. Renting oh, out. Fine. Actually, we're leaving that as is. <laughs> I think at first it, it was it was hard for them to to see it. They, it was hard for them to see it, you know, finished. Many of the students knew nothing about golf, let alone miniature golf course. And then the whole idea that they would be the designers, the whole idea that they would be the ones coming up with the obstacles, it was kind of hard for them to grasp at first. And so we had to do a lot of kind of upfront building confidence, helping them connect with their creativity, helping them to communicate their ideas. But once we got through some of those those early hurdles, then they really got into it and and took off and came up with some pretty dope dope artwork, some some really some really cool ideas and concepts. They worked with actual designers. They worked with the Art Institute of Chicago's Home and Square office, um, worked with them to do an entire design process that incorporated community engagement. So they started out with doing just simple sketches, like what will this obstacle course look like? Simple sketches. From the sketches, they made miniatures. The theme of each hole was inspired by one of the birds, one of the birds that make their home in Douglas Park. 200 species of birds migrate through the park each year. And so it was just kind of paying homage to that that native wildlife that also shares the park. Then after doing the miniatures, they made life-size sculptures out of paper mache. So some of the obstacles were, they made like paper mache eggs that were like the eggs of this particular bird. They made the trees that some of the birds like to, to lay their eggs in or like to nest in. I mean, talking with Cannon and Caleb, they are two of the teens, they're also twins, 19 years old now. They've been working on it since their sophomore year of high school to see the finished product, I mean, it's huge. Seeing the final product was like, I don't really um, know the words to even describe it. It was just a um, good feeling to have knowing that, you know, us being young um, black men from Chicago on the West side, having something so, so uh, monumental, like um, being built and um, having our names on it was just, uh, just amazing to have. It was, it was really a big accomplishment for me, being that I, me and my brother worked on it since 2018. We put a lot of work and effort into it. I didn't know how long it would take for the final result. So just seeing that, like, it was a great feeling to have. Like, a, I had like a burst of joy. Our um, sons and grandchildren may see that. I mean, that's big for the West Side too. And our names are on it. I think when it comes to a neighborhood like ours, you know, where sometimes hope can be kind of confusing, you know? It's like, you hope this turns out. You hope that we can use your ideas. And this was one of those, those times when, they started out hoping that it would turn out and we were able to match their creativity with resources and, and professional backing so that their ideas did turn out and it just helped help build their understanding of how this type of work, you know, can be accomplished. You really like this story. I can just hear it in your voice. It's just so rad. Like, I, <laughs> I think it's so cool that these kids just had an idea and made it happen. And it's like, like I said, it's just a very rare thing to see young people get the support they need to actually wield some influence in the community that they live in. This was one of those things where it's like, no, here's, here's some real ways to use your voice and your creativity 
and, and have it demonstrated how you can make your community literally change. Inspiring, not just for other young people, but it's inspiring for adults, grown folks, elders who live in the neighborhood who have just watched parts of their neighborhood decay year after year after year. And to see young people bring it back, there's just it's just so inspiring. Even though Chicago can be segregated and, and seems like it's not connected, I think when we all care about the entire city, all the little communities in, in, our, in our city, we can all come together, right? We can all share resources. We can all encourage each other. We can all lend a hand in, in transforming these, these parts that seem like they need a little bit of extra help. Did you end up putting around or no? I didn't. It was rainy the day that I stopped oh, by there, but no. I can't tell you how good it looks, though. It looks amazing now, to be honest. Like, I played the uh, course. I did pretty good. I don't really keep track of score, but... Did you beat your brother? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting, right? I've been watching everybody else play and learning from how people are kind of, you know, working through the holes. And I'm going to spend some private time where nobody's watching and develop my game, man. <laughs> Mina Bloom covers the Logan Square neighborhood and uh, plenty others around there. And by the way, listeners, in case you are hearing thunder in the background of our interview, we are recording <laughs> this during one of the 19 storms that we've had this week. Uh, but we need rain to grow plants and segue to this story. Mina. <laughs> that was a bad one. Terracotta plants and Pixie and the boy. It's a long name, but it's a really cool combination of two folks getting together and creating something awesome. Yeah. So like you said, it's a long name. And the reason it's a long name is because two people who didn't know each other up until two months ago, um, basically joined forces and opened the shop together. So Terracotta Plants is uh, Kodo's um, business and he sells house plants. And then Pixie and the Boy um, is uh, Trish Carnavale's business and she makes accessories and, and um, house goods. So were they both doing things from their own places or did they have brick and mortars or is this like their first brick and mortar home? This is their first brick and mortar home. Um, Kodo, who runs Terracotta Plants, he was doing um, pop-ups and markets and same with Trish. She was doing um, pop-ups and, and markets. So they were kind of doing you know, they, they were running these businesses, but um, they didn't, both of them were looking for brick and, a brick and mortar home and, and they didn't have one prior to this. So um, it just so happened when they met that they were both looking for the same thing to grow their businesses and have a permanent home. I like plants and crafts seem to work for me, right? Because when you're thinking about improving your space, especially as more and more people are working from home, yeah, you want plants, but you want, you know, like cute little pots to put your succulents in or other crafts to kind of do that. Is that sort of the thing? Like it's a one-stop shop to make your space better? That's exactly right. So there's house plants, tons and tons of house plants that Kodo um, curates. And then also there's a bunch of uh, you know, plant pots and candles and other fun things for the home. And I think you're right. These, these things are very complimentary. People go into a shop, you know, wanting you know, not just a plant, but a pot to put the plant in and then maybe a cute candle to, you know, to set up with the plant. They really complement each other. And it's, it's really wonderful that these two people that 
um, you know, they, again, they didn't know each other. They met through a pop-up and then they decided like, Hey, let's, let's do this together. That's awesome. Today's episode, by the way, is called putt, putt, pork and pickles. And so you're <laughs> going to provide the pickle story. What do we got? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there's no, a big no pressure. Story. <laughs> so um, if you live in Logan Square, or even if you don't, you're probably familiar with the Dill Pickle Food Co-op. It's the only food co-op in the city. Wow. And um, just a few weeks ago, it, things were really dire at the food co-op. Um, the general manager said, hey, we're millions of dollars in debt. We have very, um, very little cash remaining, and we are looking at permanently closing. They have been having serious financial issues for several years now. And, um, and it, it just reached a breaking point recently, but, um, thankfully, um, they have been able to bring in a lot of money over the last couple of weeks. They found out that they were eligible for this federal tax credit program. And they also um, held a successful fundraising campaign. So those two things combined, they are going to stay open. The dill pickle is not closing. Shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> um, they're I, not. I will, closing. but wait till the um, storm is over till you do that. Yes. Wait till the storm is over, then shout it from the rooftops. Um, they're in a much better financial position. And I think that they they're um, on the, on the right path. That's With good. that being said, there's still more work that needs to be done. Right. Uh, the general manager said like, Hey, look, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, we need more shoppers. We need more people to, to become owners to really make this a success long-term. Cool story, Mina. I will head up to the roof right now. Yes. Head up to the roof. Shout it out. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> One of my favorite places to grab a bite in Pilsen is Carnitas Gropan. Am I saying that right, Mauricio? I never feel like I get the second word quite right. Carnitas Urapan. Urapan. Close. Close. That's that's close. That works. What does it mean? Um, I mean, Carnitas, the, I know. <laughs> the region from where oh. that type of Carnitas comes from. I had no idea that they had expanded to a second location, let alone they're looking for a third. Yeah, yeah. So they um, they expanded to Gage Park back in 2019. I think it's double the size of the original location, mm -hmm. which is in Pilsen. And they had been looking for a third location for a while. And they were actually looking to open the, the second location in Little Village, but things just didn't work out. But now they, they found a perfect spot and it's going to be in the former La Concordia restaurant in Little Village, which is on the corner of Harlem and, and 26th Street. You talk to most business owners and they're in trouble, let alone expanding. Yeah, so they, um, they didn't anticipate to get the grant. So they were kind of already budgeting to try to figure out how to, to go about this, but they decided to apply to the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund, which is a grant that the city gives out. Um, it's a lump of money that's kind of brought together from different developments around the city. So developers say in the West Loop, they want to build a higher density building, they pay into this fund. And then this fund goes to help provide money for, for different businesses and entrepreneurs who want to re revitalize lighted areas on the South and West side. That's awesome. I, you know, I, when I go into their location, like the food is awesome. And if I've been like in the back where they kit uh, where they cook it and they got these giant cauldrons where they're slow cooking all this pork and stuff, it's just so good. And so put together, I was like, wow. Okay. This has been around for well over 35 years. 
Marcos Carvajal, his dad opened it um, back in the, I'm getting the, the date wrong. I'm forgetting 1975. The date, I'm reading your story, Mauricio. <laughs> <laughs> but so he, his dad immigrated here from Mexico in the sixties and, and back in Mexico in Michoacan, he worked at a family butcher shop there. And then when he was here, um, his father worked at uh, a West meat packing plant. And um, he was telling the story that the previous business owner, it was a restaurant. They weren't doing so well. At the time, there was a, a grocery store that was located across the street. Carvajal's dad thought about it when he was approached by this other business owner to take a chance on, on this bait, on this place. And he said, why not? And, you know, it re- went really well for him. And uh, now, you know, it's in the second generation with the family and it's expanding and it's doing really well. And it's always packed on Sundays, especially on Sundays with people going in and out, getting their carnitas. Uh, for the family. My mouth, as you were describing, just like the setup and everything, my mouth started watering as it did yesterday when I was interviewing um, Marcos about this, uh, the expansion, just because I'm remembering growing up and my dad getting carnitas on Sunday and and us just having carnitas. Is that a big tradition um, on, on Sundays particularly? It was for my family. Yeah. I, and I think I'm, I'm assuming for other families, just remembering, um, like just seeing the lines, <laughs> uh, not, not only at Carnita Surapan, but uh, Pedro's as well in Pilsen. And, and you have a lot of people coming into the, the Carnita shop. That's something that my family did. And I haven't done it in a while, but you know, there you go. I, might have to, I might have to do that this Sunday. I'm glad all I had to say was cauldrons of pork to get you going. <laughs> <laughs> My mouth, as you say that, my mouth starts watering again. <laughs> go, go, uh, satiate that desire for uh, cauldrons of pork. Okay, I, I need to. I yeah, need what to. are you doing? Go <laughs> now. You had, you were at the place. Did you not get any carnitas? Not, 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 uh, not yet. Sir. Well, though, well, I understand you're trying to keep <laughs> the line divided between journalist and and customer. Next time you go there, you will. Yeah. All right, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Jake Wittick covers a bunch of neighborhoods on the north side, including Lakeview. And uh, Jake, I think you and I were the only Lakeview residents that didn't go to market days. Yeah, pretty much. I was sick with the cold, unfortunately, so I didn't go. But um, it, it looked pretty crowded, pretty packed. Um, I've heard from friends that it was a blast. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I was sick with crippling laziness on my couch. So let's talk about Wiener Circle. People have been kind of worried about it, even though they said they're going to reopen. What's the latest? Yeah, the Wiener Circle, they closed down in January. So people kind of were worried back then, even though they promised they would be reopening. Um, But they are remodeling and they announced this week that they're going to be reopening by the end of September. So um, and they've got some big new changes for when that. Yeah, what I mean, because they really have expanded parts of their areas. I mean, this wasn't just, oh, the uh, inside's being redone. I mean, there was some major construction happening. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were going to keep the front, but then eventually they just knocked it all down and they're starting from the ground up again. Um, But they promised that it's still going to be the same old wiener circle, at least in the front of the establishment where you can order your Chicago-style dogs with a side of insults. But then (laughs) in the back of the establishment, they're going to implement a new patio and then a, a limited bar menu so people can get drinks there as well. All right, Jake, thanks for the update. Yeah, totally. And that's going to do it for episode 15 of Block Club Chicago's It's All Good podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We'd appreciate a rating, too. That really helps spread the word. And, of course, you can find all these stories and plenty more at blockclubchicago.org. Till next time, I'm John Hanson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week and weekend.